So what makes Michigan a great state? I'm glad you asked. My name is Cliff Dubinois, and I'm on a quest to answer that exact question. After 20 years, I've returned to my native Michigan, and I'm looking to reconnect with my home state. I'm talking to the people who are behind Michigan's great businesses and top destinations. The same people who work hard every day to make our lives a little bit brighter. And you, Michigander, are coming along for the ride. This is the Call of Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Call of Leadership Podcast. And today is a very special episode. And what I did is, if you go back to episode 12, I talked to Sean O'Keefe from Marie Vineyards. And he walked us through the process that he uses to actually start to create uh, the wonderful wines that are for sale at Marie Vineyards. Well, I also made contact with a gentleman by the name of Andy Jacobson, who is the tasting room manager. And I said, you know, I would really like to do an episode about how to do a proper tasting because so many times... And I'm even guilty of this myself. I see people come in, they go to a tasting room, they get a glass of wine, they, they dump it in their mouth, they treat it almost like a shot of tequila. And they're like, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that, whatever. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to really take some time today to kind of explore not only some of the wines that Marie Vineyard has, but also kind of like the, the, the process, so to speak. So anybody who's coming in, even if you don't have a palate that's designed for wine, could come in and enjoy it. So with that being said, Please welcome to the show, Andy Jacobson, the tasting room manager at Marie Vineyards. Andy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Cliff. Awesome. Great. So before we get started here, because I know we're going to actually sample a couple of wines, which I'm also excited about, why don't you talk to us a little bit about if when somebody comes in and they're thinking about trying some wines, what are some of the things that they should think about? Sure. First and foremost, one of the big things when somebody comes in, I think, to keep in mind is that it's a tasting. And so... Really, if you peel back a little bit of, of what people's perceptions of a tasting are, I think one of the things is is step outside your comfort zone. It's okay with the tasting to not like every wine that you're going to sample, right? but you're not in for a big commitment if you don't like it. It's okay to pick a few things that you might see as like comfort wines. Like if you know you like drinking Sauvignon Blanc, if a place has it, by all means, try it. And one of the other fun things you can do is throughout your journey, if you're visiting a few tasting rooms, is you can try Sauvignon Blancs from a couple different places. And get a, it gives you a feel of what a winery's kind of winemaking is all about. And you might be able to hone in even like, wow, I really like the way, you know, Mari Vineyards is making their wine stylistically versus maybe another tasting room that you visit. So I always encourage you can try some things the same from different places, but Try some things you like, but then also look at the list. If there's things that seem peculiar, ask your person, your server, ask the person pouring you wines. Is there anything you're known for your winery? Is there anything that you make that's just different or interesting? Those are some very, I think, obvious strategies to us, like behind the bar that we think about when we probably approach wine and wine tasting and enjoying wine at other wineries when we visit that sometimes just get lost in translation. I think... There's a little bit of this feeling that exists in people that it's like they're, you're putting money down on this, so it's, there's a, you want a value out of it and not just an experience. And I think coming with that maybe more value-centric line of thinking, you're like, I'm going to pick five wines that I, I recognize or I know I like, and there's a comfort there, and I get the most bang for my buck. But really, stepping outside of your comfort zone is the name of the game with tasting. It, it's right. really about jumping out and being like, man, I, I don't normally drink this type of wine, but I'm going to try it because maybe my tastes are evolving or maybe this winery is making it in a way that's different from any wines I've had in the past that are maybe representative of, of the grape that I might recognize or just in a northern Michigan sense, you know, you've tried some northern Michigan reds and you've been like, just nothing's really kind of hit 
or landed really well with me. Right. You know, give it a shot here. If you've never been and you've never explored reds, that might be a great thing to attack our list for. I mean, it's one of those things we've been known for. Certainly. Kind of building a little bit of steam with. So let's talk about uh, something you said earlier, a trick to thought in my head. Let's talk about the taste evolving. Yeah. Okay. So I have my own theories on this, but I would really love to hear from, from your perspective. So if somebody's brand new yeah. and they're coming in and they're, they're wanting to some, try some things, where would you steer them? And then from there, what, how would their journey go? Yeah. If somebody kind of approaches and they're, we're new to this, we're, we maybe don't have a lot of experience with wine, but we're trying to get into it or we've never been to a winery before. This is our first visit to a tasting room. Anytime I hear some of those markers, like the first thing I think of with these people is just to be like, cool, tell me a little bit about your own wine drinking experience. And whether it's very vast or it's very minimal, it, that allows us to pull a little bit of information from them. So we can Certainly. get a little bit of an idea of maybe what they've had and if there's like likes and dislikes, because we can build on that in any way, even if it's not very vast, like I had said. Have they tried drier stuff? Have they told us they like sweeter stuff? We can hit some of those markers. Where our wine list generally skews a little bit more on the drier side, we can pull some things out that might be dry, but might still be surprisingly like fruit forward and crisp and very easy to drink and very palatable for somebody that might be a little bit new to the game. So for me, there's a certain amount of enjoyment and fun in, in talking and chatting with those people and pouring for those people because those are where you get those like light bulb moments where the wheels are turning as they're trying the wines and things are clicking and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I never would have probably tried this on my own. But I like it. And that's right there. That's kind of what we want to do. And that's exactly. How yeah, that's where, like, it's the most enjoyable, I think, for us. You know, you bring up a really good point there, and that is talking to the people. There's a lot of times where I will come to a vineyard in Michigan, and I'm handed a menu, and they say, mark off the four that you would like yeah. to try. And I do that, but I don't ask any questions about it. It's yeah. kind of based a little bit on the descriptions. Yeah. So... From my personal example, I am not a big oak guy. Sure. Now, there's been some where it's, you know, they've said, oh, you know, fruit forward and da da, and I've checked that box, and it's like drinking an oak tree. Sure. And I f almost feel like I wasted that pouring. Yeah. So I think that's very valuable to actually speak to the people behind the counter and say, hey, I'm thinking about trying these for what are your thoughts? What are some yeah. things that I should know about them? Yeah, and that's, I tell people with those coming from that angle, Cliff. I always tell people it's, it's absolutely okay to make selections, but you can also ask questions before we start pouring. If you're picking wines and you're like, ooh, this one seems interesting, but I'm not a big oak guy, we might say, ooh, okay, well, like, let's look at that and I'll, I can tell you a little bit about this wine because it is going to be an oak for some amount of time. But look at it, as, as much as you could say all wines are not created equal, you could also be like all oak aging is not created equal or, or all fermentations are not created equal in the sense Certainly. that just because a wine spent some time in oak, we're doing some very different things with some of them. And so the oak while it might be present in part of a wine's production, like from our winemaking, it may not be the big, like over the top, hitch over the head, tasting <laughs> a lot of the wood flavors that are there. Because we're doing some things that are just a little bit different, I think, than what some places are. Beautiful. With some of the oak, and some of that has to do with just the vessels that we're using, so. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is keep an open mind. Exactly, exactly. Beautiful, so let's go ahead and jump into one of your wines. Yeah. So I'm going to start. This is actually going to be our 2018 Gruner Veltliner that we're making. And this is a kind of, like we'll say like a little more middle of the wine list there. But as far as our white wines go, this is one of the very peculiar white wines that we're making in a sense. And I, and I say peculiar, and maybe that doesn't pitch it in the best light. But really what I'm getting at with this is it's, there's always a certain amount of like consistency and flavor or like a like representative 
sing or aesthetic with wines from an area, I think. And that's that belief of like terroir. You can taste where a wine is from, essentially, is what people are referring to in a nutshell. Right. And really, when you're tasting white wines, I, I always jokingly tell people that you could really like shot in the dark, tasting a white wine blind, you could throw out a couple markers for flavor. Maybe more in the fruit world, apples, pears, and you could be as broad as that. And, and people could maybe to a degree be like, okay, this person is kind of, they're dialed in a little bit. They might know what they're talking about a little bit. Right. Gruner is fun for me because it kind of takes a left-hand turn very much away from a lot of that. This wine's flavor markers are less fruit forward and a little more like savory in nature. So thinking things like basil, celery seed, it's got this really nice touch of almost like a white pepper kind of subtle, kind of spice-driven taste to it on the finish. So it's, it's very fun for us to kind of put this in front of people. So I want to ask two questions here real quick, and we'll yeah. dive, jump into this. Yeah. First off, when we first started this interview, you dumped some oyster crackers yeah. down in the bar, which yeah, not yeah. everybody does. Sure. So why is this important? I think it's a good way to start things. Now, we, we do let the customer dictate this a little bit based on their own their approach to it, because there's going to be lots of different things that people have, you know, palate cleansers, a yay or a nay as far as necessity and that's essentially what the crackers will function as rinsing glasses between wines that becomes another thing yay or nay ah, okay you know, we can touch base a little bit on that so if i get off track on that don't try and remember to remind me a little bit because <laughs> i have my own opinions on it right but for the crackers right away out of the shoot people are going to come in here right from breakfast they're going to come in here right from their hotel maybe they did or didn't have breakfast maybe they just brushed their teeth maybe they if they're a smoker maybe they were out smoking in their car right before they came in all of those things will have an impact directly on the wine that you're gonna taste. And so the crackers become a nice quick kind of palate cleanser in the sense of like if somebody was just, we'll use the toothbrushing example I think because that, that becomes the most, I think it's just easy to kind of reconcile that. It's, you know, if you just were brushing your teeth and it was the last thing you did before you came in here, you've got that toothpaste taste in your mouth, which is great. You're chatting to people, we're up close and personal. It's not a bad thing. The downside is, is toothpaste will definitely have an impact on how your wines are gonna definitely. taste. Definitely. I mean, think about it as you're brushing your teeth and then the whole having orange juice analogy that everybody's all too familiar with. Yes, all too familiar. The same thing is gonna happen when you're tasting wines. They will just be off. And so the crackers are a great kind of, hey, whether they grab at them right away or not, we're usually not like, hey, let's start with a couple of crackers. I think the easiest tact is to just simply be like, Okay, like we have them there if somebody wants them. And, and generally speaking, most people will start to nibble on them even just subconsciously. Right. But it, it's basically that. It's a palate cleanser. You can do it right before you start tasting. The other thing is in between each wine, you can do a quick reset with your own kind of taste buds and your own palate to just a quick cracker or two in between each one. Water doesn't hurt either. Not so much in the sense of like I had mentioned earlier, like maybe rinsing glassware. But even just a quick sip can help reset that a little bit too. Because going from wine to wine, we try to, as best we can, keep people in an order for tasting that Certainly. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where the next wine should build from where you were and not have the previous wine have overpowered it. So there is a method to the madness when a staff member is trying to have you pick wines and then guide you through them. They've got a little bit of a strategy in their head that they've learned in the sense of we have an order for that we think it's going to be best that you try our wines in that we can not have the wines do things to one another and maybe we can present them in a way where we think it's, it's going to progress and it's going to be the best way for maybe hopefully having you enjoy the wines. Certainly. Take some home. Say, hey, beautiful. we really like these. We like the way they tasted. They've worked through this tasting and we're going to nab a couple to take with. So, Beautiful. For this actually very beautiful looking white wine that yeah. you poured for us, when we approach this and we want to taste it, why don't you walk us a little bit through yeah. how we should taste it? Yeah. Tasting, I often look at, if you, if you want to say sensory-wise, it's going to directly relate to four of them. 
And then, and you really can say, I mean, I guess if you want to believe, we've got that sixth, that umami, that savory sense, you could say six senses, four of which, five, sorry, to include that umami, you're going to directly use with tasting. Really the only odd man out in wine tasting is your, is your hearing. But mm. I guess in the sense of like, you're listening to a server, you'll hear people, or sometimes we often see people that when they taste, before they taste, they'll clink their glasses ah, together. Yes. Some of the reason for that is people are like, hey, it just gets, kind of, it's another little sensory thing. It now has, we get to hear that nice kind of sound of the glass clinking before we evaluate a wine. But really what you're looking at is getting everything else involved. Right away you can start, sight. Hold the wine up. Most of the times you're given a paper menu. You can look at the menu from a sense of, as a background, to the wine. So hold the wine up right over that sheet of paper. And then what are you looking for? Obvious color gradient. What are you seeing? Again, white wines are going to have a really wide spectrum of, of how they look and, and how they present can maybe just fundamentally tell you some different things about it. Does it have a very deep, dark hue to it? Are you drinking a wine that's maybe a little bit older? As wines age, they can develop almost like a patina. Right. of aging, where you'll see more richer colors. Was the wine in oak? That's going to probably have a little bit of an impact on the color. Was it not in oak? Just the grape itself. Was there any skin contact maybe that kind of mm. happened during processing that would have a little bit more pigment to it? Because you could see white wines. In the case of this Gruner, for those listening, obviously it's harder to gauge something like this, but it's going to be a somewhat pale white wine, maybe in comparison to some of the other whites that we have. The next biggie that you'll see is, is a, usually a lot of swirling. Because people are gonna start to wanna smell the wine and take in a little bit of those aromas and that bouquet, if you will. So you'll see people give it a swirl in the glass. Now swirling that we see can be from the very violent to just the very <laughs> delicate. And I would kind of say, it doesn't take much. The shape of a wine glass is usually going to taper or kind of narrow out of that bowl. And the idea for that is to not have those aromas just fly out of there so fast. So, so let me ask you this question. Yeah. Why do we even do this in the first place? Why do we swirl the glass? Sure. So what happens when you swirl is there's a little bit of a friction between the glass and the wine that causes a little bit of evaporation. When that happens, ah. those aromas are released out of it. And that all has to do with scientific properties of alcohol and other things that are in the wine. That's essentially some of what's happening is that evaporation effect from the friction of the wine swirling around the glass. A lot of times people will observe things like legs in the wine kind of clinging mm -hmm. to the glass. That's also a mechanism of that. When you've swirled the wine around, you've changed that wine that is clung to the glass very, in a very slight way, albeit, but enough that the wine kind of clings to the glassware a little differently. And so you start to see these tears run down. Yes. Um, that can be a whole separate side discussion on, on wine <laughs> tears and, and, and all of the, the thoughts and thinking behind all of that, whether good, bad, does it equate to quality? We'll, we'll what does keep it, it tell simple. you? We'll keep yeah. it simple. But that's one of those things where you can kind of say that. And then really if there's anything I tell people too is, is at this point where you're swirling and you're going to smell the wine, get right in there. And I can't emphasize that enough. Get your nose right in there. Because you're not going to, you're certainly of all places, you're not going to look weird in a tasting room really jumping in there and smelling right. that wine. And then really it's breathing it in there. And I always do a nice drawn in through my nose, a little bit of an exhale through my mouth. You have your olfactory nerve is back there and that's, right. you've got a lot of sensory stuff happening there. And so when you're smelling then, now is where you peel back a little bit. I always think, start broad. What are you smelling? And I like to tell people this is a little bit more of a comfort thing. There's no right or wrong. But really it's, it's that swirling and then it's like, get your nose right in there. Very broad, are you smelling fruit? Does it smell like apples? Does it smell like something different? Does it smell more herbal? Does it smell, and I always like to think very broad first because then you can start to dial it in 
and be like, okay, if you've honed in, you think it doesn't smell like apples, it doesn't smell like fruit to me, okay, then what? Okay, so maybe it smells a little more herbal. Okay, where if we think herbal and some characters like that, what are we now thinking? Because there's lots of different things. Is it more in those herbal scents? Is it green? Does it smell like leafy, like basil, celery seed, things like that? Or you can think of it from a spice standpoint. And then really, I like to diverge that into two different pathways. Spices can both be spices that, get, that make you think heat, or they can be spices that make you think baking. So like baking would be your savory things, cinnamon, coriander, those types. Yes. Clove. Your more heat spices would be black pepper, white peppers, those type, that type of stuff that maybe is, it's spice driven, but it's definitely a little bit different than like your conventional baking spices and things like that. So let me see if I can follow. So we've yeah. had our crackers that's yes. helped to clean the toothpaste off my tongue, <laughs> right? So yes. I, I look down and I should get a picture of this for the website, but look at the color against yeah, something we're white. Kind of looking at what does the wine look like? It's a white wine, obviously. Is it, and I would say this one definitely a little more pale or a little more light in color. It doesn't have maybe that rich yellow to it that you might see with a wine that's maybe a little bit more aged, if a wine had a little bit more skin contact, if a wine had some oak contact to it. All of those things might contribute a little bit more towards color versus something like this being a little bit lighter, a little bit softer program, because believe it or not, this actually does spend a little bit of time in oak. Beautiful. And then we swirl it. Yeah, we're giving it a not, swirl. Not like a wash machine, but right. you know, it can just be something. Very, it can be very delicate. It doesn't have to be crazy. And then you put your nose right in. Yeah, breathe it in. That's a neat trick. I didn't even know, I didn't even catch that before. Breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, yeah, I can really taste it on the you, back of my really, tongue. Yeah, you're gonna feel yes. that. Yep. All right, so I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to taste and this. And then it's tasting. Thanks. And then, so tasting kind of brings its own other set of things. Obviously, you're gonna take a sip of the wine at this point. Doesn't have to be a micro sip doesn't have to be where you chug the whole sample in there either. I usually think of a tasting pour. Again, this will vary a little bit from winery to winery to winery. I usually think of it as something where I might be able to do at least two, maybe three sips where I can evaluate the wine. Because sometimes it just takes more than one sip, especially as you're progressing through a tasting and through a wine list. Sometimes it might, additionally to the crackers, it might take a little bit of getting the next wine to coat your tongue. Right. And that's the next thing you're looking to do. When you sip the wine, get it in there. Let the wine kind of roll all over your tongue a little bit. You sometimes will hear people slurp a little bit. That's You're getting a little bit of oxygen, a little bit of air into the wine, which is gonna also open up the wine's flavors a little bit and allow you to, again, mix a little bit of it, the sense of smell and taste together because they're very much linked together. But then now you're kind of going off of what are the things you're feeling in your mouth? What Are, are you feeling things? Are you tasting things? And this becomes, I think, really the heart of what people know a tasting to be, when I taste it, what do I actually taste? But there's also things that are identifiable in a wine that maybe aren't associated with flavor. With the Gruner, one of the obvious things I get, and you might be getting this a little bit, Cliff, but if not, it's okay. One of the obvious things I feel with this one is maybe a little bit of warmth. Yes. Warmth is gonna be a marker for alcohol content. If a wine has a little bit of this warmth to it, albeit it's not like this big, I'm not, I don't feel like I've got like this, like I just took a shot of something. Yeah, a shot of tequila or something, yes. But there's this yes. kind of subtle, kind of nuanced kind of heat or this perception of warmth. That's, it's gonna be a good marker for, for alcohol. And one of the things I mentioned with our Gruner Feltliner is that it's a dry wine. With being as dry as it is, you're fermenting sugar out of it. If I just go off of the top of my head a little bit on this one, it's probably one of the higher white wines that we have as far as alcohol content, which creates that certainly sense of warmth or that feeling of warmth that you can get. The other thing is, what are those other subtleties that you're tasting? To me, again, not a lot of fruit here. I'm not tasting apples, pears. Neither am I, yep. Nothing like that. What am I tasting? Do I identify 
fruits do I identify other things, but not to be lost in there, like I said, is, is the alcohol that's happening, that warmth. One, another fun thing that can happen with the tasting in one of those sensations that not being related to flavor at all would be acidity. Acidity is a trigger to make us salivate a little bit. Right. So high, nice high acid, bright acid wines. And I'm a big guy, I like cheese. You know, acidity oh, tends yeah. to be, acidity tends to be a nice kind of cleansing thing when you're eating cheeses that are a little more with dairy and things like that. They have a little bit of a coating feel on your mouth. Acidity can be a nice kind of cleanser to that fat content that's gonna hurt your tongue and your taste buds a little bit. A nice high acid wine can wipe that all away and almost reset your taste buds a little bit. So just in my own little world of wine drinking, I tend to really like nice high acid things, so. Now, what I like to do is when I'm tasting a wine is I actually, you know, when I taste it, I think about the flavors. The very next thing I do is think about what would I pair this with? Absolutely. Or could it stand on its own? Yeah. Sometimes a wine is so beautiful or it's got enough sweetness to it yeah. or something like that where I'm like, you know what? If I had some friends over and we just wanted to celebrate, we could crack open this bottle of wine and we're all good. So what would be, for this particular wine, what would be like maybe like one or two dishes yeah. that we would think about that would go good with this? That I think becomes, I'll back up a little bit to what you had said in there, Cliff. I like to really look at wines as you had said, standalone, pair it with something. Really, I always approach it as, I think that's a, you're dialed in. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. I think you can also use that as a challenge. You know, Ooh. have a wine on its own as a standalone, but also any wine you're thinking, man, this is a wine I just like to drink. Why, but if you enjoy it that much, why not try and pair it with something? You Truth. Know, it's, that's part and parcel, I think, to what we're doing at the tasting bar and when we're talking with people and we get this, this opportunity to present the wines. I think that's not, it's not just come in, taste them, hopefully enjoy them, maybe buy one, but it's, you almost can, and this maybe gets a little fluffy for some people, but put them in a moment, okay? You're here now. You won't be always. It's true. You find some wines, you find some favorites, you're back home. You have a favorite dish you like to prepare. You like to sit out on the back porch in the summertime, in the evening, the sights and sounds of your neighborhood, your backyard, cheese plate, or a dinner. What are you having with it? Sure, it could be beer, it's summertime. You enjoy wine, clearly, you, you were here. Throw something out like that. We always like to tell people, it's like, think about these wines later, down the road. If you're the type that wants to do something and, and you're entertaining, that it's almost like a guerrilla marketing in that sense. These people can be like, oh my gosh, we were at Mari and we had this wonderful wine and when we were there, the staff told us about having it or trying it with this dish. We happen to like that dish, boom, they're off. Right. That's, that's the idea. Right. For something like a Gruner Veltliner, given some of the flavor profile to it, I, I would think, you know, stick with, you can go as this is a, a very much a like German Austrian influenced wine. You can go very like stock things, Wiener schnitzel type stuff. I think a wine like this would go well with a dish that might have ginger as part of it or coriander Ooh, a little bit. That's interesting. Um, I also think there's a little bit where if you wanted to push a little bit of an, an opposites attract kind of idea with a wine like this, as it's so savory with those more like herbaceous characters to it, think about like a lemon pepper dish. Or if you're doing like lemon and herbs as a dish, let the wine be the herb part and go with something maybe like a lemon kind of dressed chicken or salmon or something, or, or even doesn't have to be salmon, even just like any kind of lighter fish maybe coming off the grill a little bit. Certainly. So let's move on to yeah. wine number two. Okay. So start with the crackers to clean yeah, my palate. Yeah, have a cracker if you want. I so mean, let's do for that. For me, I don't know about you, Cliff, I can definitely still feel a little bit of that, that gruner there, that some of that warmth from the I alcohol, can. a little bit of that savory component. So a cracker is definitely gonna help. Now the next wine that I poured is actually on the back side of our menu here. This is gonna be the second one down in this section. This has got a wonderful kind of copper color to it. This almost yes. light copper 
kind of tint to it, and that's a little bit of a mechanism of this wine's production. But we didn't really have a good spot to put it on the list. It's certainly not going to look the part of a white wine. It's not going to look the part of a red wine. So where does it go? It just seemed to kind of make the most sense to put it on the wine list in this rosé part Category. of the list. Yeah, categorically speaking. So but now we go ahead and swirl yeah, it? Yeah, give it a little bit of a swirl. Now this one's going to definitely be an interesting wine from a sense. We've already looked at it, and it's got a very interesting appearance already. It's, it doesn't look probably like a lot of wine people are used to seeing. And then the right. smell on this is going to kind of keep that going. Put our nose in there. Now I'll, I'll pick you a little bit on this, Cliff, with smelling this. What are you thinking a little bit on this one? What are you smelling? Again, just like with anybody, there's no right or wrong. So I definitely am tasting fruit. Sure. In yes. there, for sure. Yes. I, I don't... I don't think my palate is refined enough that no, I can no. sit there and but, say, oh, but this but is... But you're not off. There's going to be some fruit there. It's going to have some some lighter tropical fruit tastes, or rather, sorry, tropical fruit aromas. A little bit of a light pomegranate to this. The other big thing, at least as far as my nose, is almost this sense of like a, a tea or a tea leaf kind of aroma to it. And I think that's one that gets very driven into people, especially in the summertime, is maybe there's a little bit more of like a sun tea in those types of things being drank, or even just like a light kind of tea leaf sense. This is 100%, this wine, the Bestiari Romato, is 100% Pinot Grigio, but we ferment it on the skins ah, for a little bit of time. Right. So what you see kind of swirling in there is a little bit of the fruit that the Pinot Grigio is going to kind of bring to the table as far as its own flavor profile goes but then this other kind of subset of flavors that are gonna come from the skin contact. And that's also where this really wonderful kind of copper color comes from in this wine. But let's get into tasting this one a little bit because I think this one is kind of a fun one. And I will state for the record, I'm absolutely loving smelling through the nose, exhaling through the mouth. Mm-hmm. So now that you've explained it, I actually understand a lot better what's going on in my mouth yes, right now. Yes, it definitely feels like it's, it's drying out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's the tannins. Because the, the, yeah. first, the first wine that we tried was very clean. Yes. Like here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. Right? So I would I would guess then that the tannin level in that is really low. Yes. Compared to this, like you said, when it had the skin contact, yeah. all of a sudden the tannins go up. Now I'm tasting it a lot more on the back of my tongue. The taste is lingering, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. You, you're spot on, I think, in, the, in that assessment clip, actually. So your taste buds are also going to, a little bit with a wine like this, kind of confirm, I think I said this earlier, what your nose knows. So when we tasted this, we talked a little bit about fruit. I talked a little bit about tea. So I'll call back to both of those things. With tasting this one, two things, I think, shine through a little bit for me. And you hit on the first one, the tannins. So when I think of tea, tea to me has a little bit of that residual bitter taste to it. Like you, you taste it and yep. it can be kind of flat. Now, if you're adding in things like lemons and sugar, you're obviously changing and manipulating a little bit of the way that's gonna, but think of like tea, whether it be hot or something that you've done, like where you've done like the sun tea and it's sat on your porch with the tea bags in the water. If ever those things sit too long, the tea has a very flat, almost like bitter taste to it. Yes. Again, it's the tannins in some of the components that go into tea bags that kind of cause a little bit of that. This wine has got the same kind of thing from the tannins coming from the skins that play. So it's the tannins that I taste. The other thing is, is a little bit of almost, with some acidity there, like a tartness and an acidity to it. So with the yep. tannins, it's also this balance between, it tastes like it dries my mouth out a little bit, but then also I, maybe just a slight amount of salivation happening. And that's driven a little bit by acidity that's gonna be present in the wine like we were talking earlier. So to me, I get, some of the tannic quality to this that makes me think things like tea leaves, things like that, almost a little bit of 
like an, an IPA kind of bitterness to it Ooh, or, or there a we pomegranate go. tartness. Right. For us, this becomes a fun wine to get in front of the beer drinking crowd. Do you guys make any, do you guys make any beer? Do you guys have any Bud Light? We hear those types of things. Oh, I bet. You know, on a daily basis. And this, I think, is a fun wine to put in front of somebody like that. If someone's like, I tend to like a lot of craft beer as well as wine. This is another one that's like, okay, the craft beer world is definitely not shy about trying different things and really creative kind of funky things. Just, and that beer can have some quick turnaround and it can be made and you can have a batch out relatively fast. I think it's, it's rife for a lot of experimentation where wine is a little bit more of a slow, kind of long game in a sense. The experimentation happens, especially with a wine like this, but it's, it's maybe a little bit more slow to get out in front of people. Right. So for us, this is always a fun wine to get out in front of people and be like, check this out. This is gonna be something that if you like different, if you like unique, you want a little more funky, you're a craft beer drinker, any number of those things, if not just one of those things, I think allows us to get a wine like this right out in front of somebody and be like, check this out, see what you think. It's gonna be a little bit of a weaving of how the wine world can make some things that are maybe a little bit less stock and a little more funky. I love that. Yeah. Let's move on to wine number three. Sure. And we're gonna jump into a red wine on this one for sure. Beautiful. I'm a red wine nut. Perfect. Now this becomes almost a little bit of a, a bane and a blessing as I kind of get into kind of consideration. When we started this, you were, we talked a little bit. There's some wines that are very representative of Mari and there's probably one that, I, that really is always gonna stand out with me and I think jumps out and becomes kind of the obvious one to do. But with that also, I think it becomes a little bit of a bane and a blessing kind of thing because it's a wine it's very unique in its history. It's very small in its production, but it's a little bit of what, you know, is part of what makes Mari special. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things, but this is definitely one I think that's gonna really drive home a little bit of that uniqueness to us. Certainly. So let me go down the process. I've yeah. already had the crackers. Yes. Clean off my palate. Yeah. So now I'm gonna look at the color. Yeah. Okay. Now one so, thing you can look at now is we're, we're dealing in red wines now is these again, like white wines, could huge gradient in color on this. One of the things I like to look at, again, using the menu a little bit as your background, is can you see through it? Can you read the words on the menu through it? Ooh, okay. You're seeing a little more richness and color on this. You can see text through it. A little more, like as we talked rim variation earlier, a little more as, as the wine's like out into a thinner spot, but if I'm in kind of like that heart of where the wine is probably at its deepest or yep. in the glass, it's definitely a little harder to see through there. You know, so that right away is gonna tell me some things a little bit more about like, pigment in the wine. This is this is our row seven is the name of this wine. Now we, we started talking a little bit before I poured this about something very representative of Mari and something very, I think, representative of what we want to do and what we want to kind of show people. It's from our original vineyard planting that our ownership did back in 1999. Whoa. So though the winery has only been open six years as far as a brick and mortar presence, wines grape-wise have been growing for some time out on the peninsula here as well as even on a small scale before the building existed, some wines were available commercially through some channels in town. When this wine came about, when the grapes were purchased and the grapes arrived here on Old Mission Peninsula, the family had friends and family help them plant this vineyard. And there was a little bit of an urgency to do so based on kind of the state of the grapes when they arrived. Without getting too much into the detail, they just, they needed to be put in the ground pretty quick. Right. So with the strength of friends and family, they set out to start this planting. And that's where things went sideways. And this wine became the result of a little bit of a happy accident that occurred. Friends and family were planting the grapes a little bit arbitrarily. And so the rows of this vineyard were being planted, not in a way where every row 
is made up of the same thing. Oh, you interesting. Plant all of the Cab Franc grapes for the rose until you exhaust those. Things were being mixed up. Well, it was eventually realized after about an acre or so of grapes were planted. At this point, do we go back and fix it? Do we and, just and, keep and, on rolling? And even at that, how do you fix it? At this point, there are all these little vine cuttings. They're, they're young baby vines. They are going to look pretty much one and the same sticking out of the ground. That's true. And so at this point, they course corrected and realized what had happened. They just left it as it was, knowing that they had all of this big block planted. And they knew a little bit of what was planted in there because all of the grapes <laughs> came marked and labeled and identified as what they were. They were planted, they were mixed up, nothing really had any kind of mark on it anymore. There were no right. tags, nothing was labeled at this point. They left that one acre as is, and as they say, sometimes good things can come out of happy accidents or kind of misfortune. This row seven is a result of that. We make this particular red wine out of only that acre that was mixed up. Hence row seven. Yeah. The center marker of that part of the vineyard that's mixed up is the seventh row in the vineyard. So it's kind of the namesake of that. And, and the mixed up fruit goes out in both directions for a little bit. Now, another thing that we do that's a little more unique to Mari Vineyards with our grape growing and, and fully impacting a wine like this. Now we're going for the smell. We've swirled the glass. Ooh, yeah. I can see the fingers a lot more. Yeah, it's got those like little tears or wine legs yeah. too, you'll hear people call them. I can them. see those. This is another one that's gonna be probably a little bit up there as far as alcohol content. Row seven has always existed for us. Again, uh, warmth when you're tasting being a little bit of a marker for that, but also alcohol being a marker for ripeness, showing that we were dealing with some fruit that was just tremendously ripe. Right. I mean, to get that kind of alcohol content, you're dealing with some fruit that's gotta have a certain amount of sugar to have that produced during fermentation with the yeast kind of metabolically consuming the sugar out of the wine to dry it and creating the alcohol as a byproduct. So I did smell the fruit in this. Again, yeah. I don't think I could sit there and say, oh, well, it's cherry or something else like that. But you're not off in the sense that cherry would be one of those things that when we were talking white wines, what feels like so long ago, and I mentioned you could say markers like apple, pear, and people are going to be like, all right, this person kind of knows what they're talking about. Really, berry or cherry tend to be some things that, that really a lot of noses will pull out of red wines. And I think some of that is just they're very familiar aromas because I think we're inundated with cherry and berry flavored things in our everyday life. Cherries, especially in an area like this. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's a berry, cranberry. I think a little bit of a, a berry and a little bit of tartness for me drives that a little bit. I feel like this wine also is gonna have a little bit of that, maybe a lighter kind of earthy smell to it. This wine being composed of a lot of different grapes, you know, would be referred to as a field blend when that we took everything that was growing in this plot and put it together Okay, so for this one here, very heavy on the tannin side. Yes, very, very tannic. I can very, yeah, very, very, because I, I can feel my mouth drying out. Yes. Like you were talking about yeah. before. I definitely feel the flavor lasting on the back of my tongue. Yeah. For a long yes. time. Yep, and that's a little more body to this wine. It's got a little bit of a fuller feel, which is, which is going to contribute to that flavor, not just being there and then going really fast. But you had talked about the tannins on this one. Yeah, right away, that's like the first... I think notice one of the first noticeable things that really kind of gets you or grips you. It's also driven not just by the grapes that are in this and then that the pump over process where we're continually you know, every so often going to mix the skins around a little bit to do some of the color and tannin extraction and, and really create these kind of layers of complexity in the wine. But then also that, that two years of aging in new barrels, oak barrels also have tannins in them. Yes. So the two years of oak are also going to kind of contribute and accentuate 
to the high tannin quality in this wine. And really for those at home kind of thinking, outside of just that, the structure and bitterness of, of the tannins in a wine, what's the benefit? The, one of the easiest obvious answers is aging. The tannins are gonna help provide a structure to the wine that will help the wine age well over time. I mean, this is a wine, as we're tasting through this one, this is from 2018, just released within the last handful of months. It's been two years in oak, so the grapes grew in 2018, it went through all of this wonderful fermentation process and pump overs, and then it goes into the barrel and ages for two years, and so it doesn't see a release until 2020 or even later. Right. So how long will it last? You're sipping a wine now that's been two years plus into its lifetime, four years really now that we're sitting in 2022 almost. But a wine like this with those tannins and some acidity there, I mean, this could, this could age 10 years. And as it ages, the tannins will help keep that wine holding up over time, but the tannins will also soften out a little bit. Yes, absolutely wonderful. So, process, have something, crackers available. Yeah. Then when they pour the wine, take a look at something like with a white background. Yeah, you're looking at the color against something white. And the menus are, like I said, the menus are always a handy little thing for this. It's not, it doesn't have to just be that piece of paper in front of you that you're marking on or taking notes on. Use it, you can observe what that wine really looks like against kind of white, bright background. Swirl it. Yeah. Not like a wash machine, swirl yeah. it. Let some of those. We're getting some of those aromas kind of right up in that top going. part of the glass. And Your the nose, nose goes right in, in there. Breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. Yeah, just a great way to kind of make sure you're getting the, that those, those aromas over the olfactory nerve. I have to say, that's the best part of this. To be honest, I, I love that so much. And then from there, taste it. Yeah, then that's, that's the, probably the, the pay dirt part of it, I guess, where you've done all this work of looking at it, observing it, very patiently swirling, smelling. Maybe that payoff then is now we get to actually taste this, get this wine rolling over the taste buds a little bit. Beautiful. I absolutely love it. And I really, I mean, I almost feel like I can't drive home enough a couple things with, the, with all of the tasting in the process, and that's don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone a little bit. And also that other part of, of the smelling it. Get your nose in there. We, you will not look silly to any one of us, whether you feel it. It's really where all of, I think, the good stuff starts to happen with the wine is, is in the aromas. And then, again, by actually tasting it, Ideally, you're going to confirm again what your nose knows and that you, you maybe be able to smell and taste some things that are very interwoven in that wine in, in the sense of balance for how that wine all comes together is the smell and taste. So really, after the swirling, get your nose right in there. still think that's my best part. Oh. I got some friends of mine that are going to be so jealous of this one. This is, yeah, this is, again, this is our 2018 Row 7. And, and really, if there is a wine and you come in the doors here at Mari, outside of a lot of wonderful things we make, if there's an opportunity to taste this one, even if dry red wines maybe aren't your cup of tea yet, we'll say yet, this is a fun one to taste because you get to see a little bit of, of what Mari's kind of doing, what we're all about, and what can be for from a, a sense of, Michigan wines and Northern Michigan wines and Mari Vineyards wines and all of those things at once, you know. So for our audience that's listening to this podcast episode, we'll make sure to have links to all of these wines that we've tested here today. Yeah. But if our audience does want to find you, yeah, Andy, where's the best way for them to find you online? Look for you. They can just go just to the main website, marivineyards.com. 
If you're looking to do a visit, you can definitely find a lot of information as far as what we're doing as far as our wine tastings and our other services that we're offering as far as coming and enjoying a glass of wine, sitting at a table and enjoying a flight, taking a little bit of a journey on your own where it's a little more self-guided. We do ship wines. We have a web store that you can find on the website, though shipping can kind of be limited to certain states. Certainly. Um, it's definitely something that there, there is that mechanism. We do a little bit of distribution around the state of Michigan as well as into um, some other states. Like I know we're in like the metro Chicago area. So for those that might be listening, you know, you might be able to kind of find some wines and stuff uh, through some of our distributor partners there. Um, in Michigan, we're using a company called Eagle Eye, and then we use actually a company called Maverick uh, that distributes for us in Chicago, in the Chicago area. Beautiful. Yeah. And for our audience, we'll make sure to have all those links uh, in the show notes down below. Andy, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of your knowledge with us today. <laughs> it's been wonderful. And I've learned a lot today, which is, which is actually really good. So thank you for that. You're welcome, man. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Before you go, I want to invite you to the Call of Leadership community. Here you can get access to some really great behind-the-scenes goodness like upcoming guests, interviews, but you can also get thoughts from these interviews as well as actionable tips that you just will not find anywhere else. Plus, you can stay current with what's going on not only with this community, but with this awesome show because there's some good stuff that's coming. Join us by going to calloflearship.com slash email. Once again, that's calloflearship.com slash email. And I'll catch you in the next episode.